Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Beats his tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three things. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. What is going on? Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell and Raja Bell. We are here on a Wednesday. It is hump day. It feels a little bit like hump day. It's one of those that, you know, just kind of feels get, like hump get day. Get through bro. it, baby. Yeah. Here we go. Get that struggle. Extra coffee. A little bit of a struggle, but we're good to go. Uh, we got a big show for you. We're gonna get some hard knocks. Yep. Did you watch it live? I didn't cause I we gotta get up so early. I don't, I wanna watch the whole episode. I did see, see Dude, some tidbits of it. To be up at 5.30, I have an 11 o'clock cap. Like, and I'm falling asleep usually around 10.45, but I can get to 11 and still yeah. be alright in the morning. Do you watch stuff live anymore? No. So- I don't either. Like, there's not much appointment viewing, which I kinda miss, cause there's something about it when you feel like everybody's watching one thing. But the way we're going to now, like with on-demand stuff, it's like, yeah, I'll just watch it whenever I can. So I'll probably watch Hard Knocks this morning, like yep. as soon as we're done with the show, just kind of catch up with it. It's kind of the way we've evolved, uh, you know, in our viewing stuff. So we'll see. Hopefully people will be able to watch us whenever they want. Here we go. Coming up soon. Uh, update from yesterday's show. News item right off the top. Very important yeah. WNBA news. Oh, they're very important. So WNBA we talked about the Las Vegas Aces, <laughs> right? Remember we said they were like, uh-uh, we're not it's playing. Then we had three hours of sleep. Wrong the way you set that up. That is wrong. I saw what you did there. They know what you did. They know what you did. Big (laughs) update. So they were forced to forfeit their game. They should have been. So I don't know who the notes. Yeah, they should have. You you didn't play the damn game. It's a forfeit. They must have listened to the podcast and said, you know what? Rasha Bell is (laughs) right. They did it in the W and the NBA. They did it in other circles. You are 40. You should play. Tip off says this time you should be there no matter what the circumstances. I'm gonna throw my hat in the ring the next time the uh the uh commish job comes open again in the WNBA. All right, sounds good. Yeah, you should absolutely. <laughs> I think you could kill that job. All right, we're gonna have Butch Davis, head coach at FIU, former coworker of mine uh, in the broadcasting yeah. realm. He's gonna come on your alma mater. Like yep. I want to hear what he has to say. We're gonna break it down. Butch it? Davis and I are like all intertwined, right? Yeah. Because like obviously FIU is where I went, but like. I revered the Hurricanes, still do. Dad worked there, worked with Butch. Like, those teams were, like, there were some good years. He built the program back up sure. and then handed it off. So, like, I got a lot of questions for Butch. Nice. Again, we're going to get to that. We'll do some Miami stuff, some Miami stories of old, and uh, also hit on some FIU stuff. Christmas Day in the NBA. The schedule is announced. I want to get your thoughts on that. But it is NFL training camp is in full force. So you're starting to see more stories pop out there. Um, guys are calling out teammates. We're going to, you know, but one of them, Really ripped into his teammates. This isn't just calling him out. So Aaron Rodgers went in on a young group of wide receivers. Take a listen to Aaron Rodgers. Well, not with the kind of effort we had today. I mean, it was uh, it was one of the worst card sessions we've had. Um, I don't know how you can make it any simpler. We literally have what the play would be in our terminology on the card. And the effort level is very low, uh, especially what I'm accustomed to haven't run that period for a number of years so it's uh, not a good start for us on the, on the Carter period um, for the young guys you know I think uh, uh, the NC has really progressed um, GMO um, obviously 16 but uh, everybody else was uh, kind of piss poor see speaking in damn like hieroglyphics or something yeah, like, right. what the hell is he talking about talking about some of the periods that they're running uh when you do it at practice sometimes a carded period which you know exactly what you're going to do a lot of it's tempo stuff like okay. you're just going through plays and you're running them at tempo and it feels it's not it's not against defense it's against air and so sometimes guys kind of coast through it and yeah that's walk easy. through it and they'll kind of go through the motions right 
And it's interesting because that's usually at the beginning of practice. For Aaron Rodgers still to be bothered by it after practice says a couple things to me. One, that's about as animated as Aaron Rodgers is going to get to the media, right? He's right. always Mr. Chill, like laid back. He's And he's, he's great. Like, I love the way he handles the media. But for him to call out and put on blast the receivers like that, that tells me there's a couple things. I think, one, I think he's frustrated with the coaching staff that they didn't get on the receivers. Like, he's probably thinking in his mind, why didn't why did this occur and why am I having to Why do to I have to out? do this right now? Right? And I also think there's something when he said this isn't the way it's been done around here. I think that's one more kind of revelation about him being upset that Jordy Nelson is no longer out there. Like for him calling out the young receivers, this isn't the way it's been done here before. Right. I think he still is bothered by the fact that one of his best friends, one of his longer tenured teammates, was you know cut loose last season and they didn't even think about bringing him back. Sure. I'm well because Jordy Nelson not only like for the on field. Uh, production, and could you can make an argument that that was slipping a bit as he as he aged and came off of injury and whatnot. But a guy like that's invaluable to the culture in your receivers group, right? Like he's the one um, in theory that should be grabbing those dudes while you're in your what is it called your carded like carded period carded yeah. period. Like Aaron shouldn't have to do it because Jordy should have been able to do it, or a veteran presence on that receiving core should have been the one to say, "Hey guys, we're lunching right now. Let's pick this up. You know, this isn't what this is about." Um, so for a lot of reasons, I could see why he'd be pissed, not just because he was his buddy and he was probably his favorite target, but because like now some of the, the tutelage of some of these younger guys falls that trickles down to him. Not only does he have to worry about quarterbacks, but he's got to worry about teaching receivers how to be pros. So he also said after he said, those guys are practicing like pros talking about the veterans. That's how you stick around in this league. It's not some of the stuff we've been seeing through practice and it's repeat mistakes. Like there's something, there's nothing more annoying when Guys don't get it. And there's a process. Like, I didn't understand how to be a pro when I was a rookie. It's a process. Sure. But I I prided myself on at least mentally being ready on studying my playbook. And believe it or not, there are a ton of guys who just simply don't study their playbook. Like, yeah. they don't know what to do on certain plays. And that is the most frustrating thing as a professional athlete when guys aren't just – in. Like, I, and I, I get it. Like, some of them show up and say, I just, I have to be there at nine o'clock. I leave at five. I'm done. You have to study when you get home. It's a lot like school. That's why when you look at the college game and, you know, guys don't go to class or whatever, I think that is a red flag because you'll hear guys say, well, I don't want to go to school. Yeah. Most of the preparation in the NFL is mental and it is, it is sort of academic sure. when you look at the X's and O's aspect of it. Well, I didn't love school and I wasn't the greatest student when I got to college, but. I loved basketball and basketball is the same way when you're trying to learn a whole new offense and a whole new set. Like you get, you get a binder in training camp with all, all your plays and you progress through the binder. And um, listen, I talk to fifth graders right now about knowing plays and your responsibility as an athlete. Um, when a coach tells you something, it may take you a time to get it maybe twice, but he shouldn't have to show you three times. Right? right. So like, that's your job. It doesn't matter what kind of player you are. If I've got to come to you three times asking you to do it the right way, I'm moving on to the next kid. I don't have time. So I send fifth graders home with like, with laminates, with little pennies. I send our whole list of plays and I say, take this home. I show the parents and I'm like, look, you have these kids move the pennies around. They should know all five positions and get their laminate. And then I come back and I test them because like, and you know, you know the dudes who look. You and you can already tell, right? And look, but here's the other part. Like in the NBA, at least, they're guys that would would study the playbook, and then they, you know, they were bless your heart. Like it didn't matter how much they studied it. They were run, jump over the moon, like dunk the heck out of the ball, maybe knock down a hundred threes. But it didn't matter how many times they went over this like board with the pen, the pennies. They were never gonna get it. <laughs> we're bless your heart. They just couldn't do it. God bless you. Uh, Rogers admitted he's older and grumpier than he's ever been. He's obviously getting up there in his point of his career. Did you ever feel that comfortable? 
getting on guys, like in the public media. Because I never really was established. My, when I was a starter with the Giants, I was young in my career. I was very tentative. Yeah. I never felt comfortable where I was in that type of position to publicly, with the media, just scold some other. I don't, I never bought into that. That was, I was always a wee guy. I've said this before. Like if I was going to say in the media that something was bad, then I was going to include myself in, in part of the reason uh, there was a problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so like what I would have liked to have seen Aaron Rodgers do and look, who am I? But, um, if there's some veterans that were practicing well with that receiver group, well, before you come to the media and skewer the younger ones, you'll go to the vets and say, hey, listen, man, you guys see them out here BSing. Like, right. you know that this isn't the way we do it. Grab your rooks, get them in line because I'm, I'm, I'm getting short with it. You know, just tell yeah. them like, look, dog, this is your job, not mine. Don't, don't, don't make me have to handle this and, and trust your vets. That's what they should be doing for you. So no, the answer is no. I never went to the media with some like skewering of other people type stuff, but I would. Yeah, we had a bad practice. Yeah, we, we had bad. But we weren't effort. good. We gotta be better defensively. Like, we can't play like this. We got it. Whatever it is, it's we for me. You know, I'm French. Right. So speaking of, uh, speaking of calling out your teammates, how about our boy Jarvis Landry? Hard knocks. I'm gonna watch the whole episode yesterday, right. but his, his epic rant was going viral. Uh, so let's hear from uh, him from You Have to Hear It. I don't know what the f going on here. I don't know why it's been going on here. But this, if you're not hurt, like if your hamstring ain't falling off the bone, your leg ain't broke, I don't know, like you should be practicing. Like straight up. Like that shit is weakness. And that shit is contagious as fuck. And that shit ain't gonna be in this room, bro. That shit's been here in the past and that's why the past has been like it is, bro. That shit is over with here, bro. If you can fucking practice, fucking practice. We need to you can't get no better. Yeah. Ain't nobody gonna get better by being on the fucking sidelines. You ain't fucking hurt. If you're not fucking hurt, you gotta fucking practice. Because you make other motherfuckers work even fucking harder. Now they have more fucking risk of getting hurt because you don't want fucking practice because you've been a bitch. Should you bleeper there? Yeah. <laughs> well bleeped. Well bleeped. You know what? He. Is experienced something. It's kind of like Aaron Rodgers with younger players and guys not studying the playbook. There's another thing, and it's the fastest way to lose the respect of your teammates is when guys think you're loafing and thinking you're faking injuries mm -hmm. to get out of practice. And it happens all the time because guys are lazy. Guys don't want to practice. It's not fun to practice, sure. especially in the NFL when a lot of it's tedious drills and some of it's physical, but most of it's just guys are lazy, and it's hard to imagine that, you know, millions of dollars are at stake and guys are sitting in there saying, oh, I don't want to practice today. Let me get a hamstring or something like that. Right. And it's tough because you can fake it and it's pretty easy. And you can say, my groin's bothering me and the team doesn't want to put you out there and put you at risk. Yeah. But that's what Jarvis Landry is calling dudes out. And that's the best messenger to call these guys out. Um, yeah, I agree in with a setting you. like that, not in the I, media. No, no, no. Yeah. Close. Totally. And I agree to some degree. I, that's weird. Sound weird. But anyway, I, I agree, uh, that especially in a spot like Cleveland where you're trying to kind of change culture, right? And you're trying to establish, um, a toughness about your team, like the way you're going to go about your business. And football is like the ultimate tough sport. Like the, I, I agree. I was one of those guys where look, you get out there and you get it done. Yeah. You, you figure it out. You tape it up. You get some extra treatment, whatever you need to do. But if you can, you should for the team. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Having said that, Towards the end of the clip, I heard him, and it sounded like if if I'm generally in speaking to a group beeps. in the middle of the beeps, I heard him, and it sounded like it was a very pointed conversation. I, I got to see it 
So if that's pointed, if you're doing that at one particular guy, like if I'm doing that to a broad, a room yeah. full of like 15 guys, then it's on everybody to take it and, and figure out like, yo, is he talking about me? Like, you know, look at yourself first. Don't just pass the buck. But if he's directing that at like one dude, it sounded like he started off with like a broad scope and it kind of right. narrowed the focus down to like the one guy. You gotta be careful with that. Because right. you picked the wrong dude. Right. And, and fireworks are gonna go off in the, in the room. And I'm now, sure now you gotta. Because you don't, you don't just go there with another vet. Like you're not getting across that line. But the thing I thought that he said was interesting is if there are multiple wide receivers who are having issues and they're missing practice time and he referenced it, hey, it makes all of us work harder. Yeah. Because that you're getting more reps. Sure. So you're having to work that much harder. I remember and, that. and you're looking over there and then becomes a resentment. And you're like, like, you think I want to be out here? <laughs> and your ass is sitting over there with a hamstring. <laughs> like, exactly. Like, that was the more important <laughs> message. Like, hey, we're out here doing work. You need to be along right. the side of us. Even if you can't go 100%, just give us a blow every once in a while right. by taking that rep. No doubt. Uh, you know who else having to deal with injuries and playing through Spain? It's Tiger Woods. Uh, the PGA Championship this week. I, I was shocked at how fast this came about. Like, I thought there was going to be a little bit more of a break. I don't know why. Cause I remember watching the PGA cha- uh, Championship in training camp, which is what everybody's in now. So, uh, the first, uh, final major of the year tees off at Bell Reeve in Missouri. Yeah. Uh, Tiger after, I thought at Bridgestone, I thought he got off to this great start. He had the first two rounds. He was in like he was positioned for the weekend. And then he sort of fell apart in the weekend. Yeah. Which is, has become a trend. I mean, he's, they're really, when I watch Tiger play, I don't think there is a trend. He's just been kind of all over the map. It's been inconsistent, which I think has been his biggest issue. Uh, Justin Thomas, our buddy, uh, a buddy of the show. He's a huge fan. <laughs> we'll just put that out there. Uh, he, he had the impressive win. Yeah. But Tiger, I thought looked a little tired. Uh, and that's my biggest question for him. And I think some of it might just be, getting into golf shape yeah and i think people like laugh and say well what are you talking about golf's not a, a athletic sport but when you're walking four rounds when you are coming off as many surgeries as he has and as much time off as tiger woods has i think it is going to take him time to physically and mentally get used to playing four rounds of competitive golf yeah anyone who wouldn't listen you ride around on a golf cart and you drink beer and you hop out you take <laughs> right. seven steps you hit a ball you take seven more steps try walking like uh, Beth Page Black. One round. Yeah. And see what that's going to feel like the next morning. So yeah, there is a golf shape that you have to be in. But, and we've talked about this before with Tiger. Like, there's also a mental condition that you have to be in. And not only did he look like physically a little drained, but he looked mentally drained because he didn't have his A stuff, um, at Firestone. It, even though he was putting up decent numbers on, on the first two days, like he missed a lot of fairways. Um, I mean, a lot of people missed a lot of fairways, but he just, he didn't have the A game. You could tell. And, more so than physical. You don't, like, I don't think physically when things start going bad, you completely, like, fall apart. And Sunday he fell apart. Yeah. That just looked like somebody who had kind of checked out. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I'm exhausted trying to fight and because it's a grind. When you don't have your A stuff, then you become that, like, now it's that proverbial grind, man. You yeah. got to really be. He looked like he had checked out on the grind. That concerns me a little bit about going again, uh, you know, this week, I know he's had what, three days maybe to get back in the lab, but there's travel involved there. Right. There's checking in the new places. Like there's a lot of stuff going on. I would have liked to have seen him take a week. Yeah. Yeah. Me somewhere. Too. But yeah. it's the FedEx Cup, the first time he's made the playoffs in some years. So he wanted to kind of, I get it. He's got this schedule, which is going to be grueling for him. Yeah. So that's what I'm kind of curious to see. Cause I think it, I think it's been a successful comeback when you think of the big picture. Like, yeah, he didn't win the match. He didn't win in a major. He doesn't win a tournament. But I feel like he's progressing on the right trajectory. 
And I hope we see him finish strong as he's moving forward. And maybe, like, just maybe in his camp, this is, like, I don't really care whether I win these. Like, clearly I want to win them. But if I don't, this is just another hurdle I got to get over. Like, I got to prove to myself that I can play in successive weeks and, and finish a season with this type of grueling schedule so that next year I'm fully you know, capable of investing 100% and will chase this thing down and try to be the Tiger of old. Maybe this is just another hurdle that he's got to clear on his way back to where he wants to go. You mentioned Beth Page Black. Yeah. I played it the last time it was up there for the U.S. Open when Tiger won. Uh-huh. I played it two weeks after. And I was like, all right. And it was in July. It was like, you know, June, July. It was yeah. summertime. It was hot. I played it two weeks after they played the thing. And I was dumb enough. I'm like, all right, I'm playing it from the tips exactly where they played from. <laughs> yeah. I Impossible. played, walked, carried my own bag. It took six hours. And when I was done, I felt like I ran a marathon. Absolutely. Like I'm not lying. I was gassed. Like I think I went home, went straight to bed. Like I was <laughs> exhausted. So like to think golf is not an athletic sport. Yeah, you're crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And you've seen the game, the game evolve where guys are taking more ownership of their physical bodies and like training more so that, and it's, it's helping them. So yeah. they can be ready for this. Uh, all right. The Christmas day schedule is set. I want to hear your thoughts on that and what it was like to play in some of those games. Plus there could be a new TO rule. When you're talking about the Hall of Fame, I think it's an awful idea. We'll get to that next on Off the Bench. Uh, Danny. Yo. Look, when you walk down the toothbrush aisle at the store, it doesn't take long to realize there are a lot of options, right? Many of them are gimmicks, bro. The truth is you really just need something that guides the simple habits most of us get wrong when brushing our teeth. And you know who knows that? Quip knows that. Right? So Quip is designed to last. It's covered for the life of your plan and you can return it for up to 30 days if not, if it's not love at first brush. Uh, Quip was called the best electric toothbrush by GQ and the test love toothbrushes by Bloomberg. 75% of us, Danny, don't refresh our bristles every three months, let alone visit the dentist every six months. I missed my appointment the other day. That's why you need Quip to put a necessary yet annoying aspect of your personal care on autopilot. It's a wireless mount declutters your bathroom and doubles as a travel cover so it's the easiest and most refreshing travel companion no charger or wires means quip is compact and light to make brushing twice a day uh as easily at home as it is on the go and finally danny everyone loves quip i mean it was on the oprah's o list named one of time's best inventions and is the first subscription electric toothbrush accepted by the american dental association quip starts at just 25 dollars uh and if you go to getquip.com slash bench right now you'll get your first refill pack free with quip electric toothbrush with the quip electric toothbrush that's your first refill pack free at getquip slash getquip.com slash bench i'm spelled g-e-t-q-u-i-p dot com slash bench so get your quip now danny i nailed that go get it anyway on to read and react uh the report Lakers-Warriors game leads Christmas Day NBA slate. Uh, official announcement comes at 2 p.m. today, but Mark Stein of the New York Times is reporting the Lakers will uh, take on the Warriors at Oracle on Christmas Day. How do you feel about all these um, uh, Christmas Day games? Like, are you excited about them, or what's the deal? That one I am, yeah. <laughs> because I want to see LeBron go against the Warriors. I mean, it's been one of the best rivalries the NBA has seen. Uh, I don't usually check out the NBA until after the Super Bowl. Like, just right. to be honest with you. Like, I'll, I'll mildly watch... But this Christmas Day game, I'll probably tune in to see how that goes. So we've also got the Sil- the Sixers, Celtics, Rockets, Thunder, Jazz, Blazers, Bucks, Knicks. Uh, the re- rest of the announcements will include opening week national TV games and Mouth Day schedule. So which one is your favorite? Uh, um, by far the Lakers Warriors, by far. And then I would say the Celtics. Yeah. And then I'm not watching any other ones. I literally will not watch any of those games. The first two, I will watch. Yeah, I like that. they're compelling to me. They seem like they'll be interesting games to watch. Celtics, Sixers, um, for me, is like a... 
could be for the Eastern Conference. Yes. So that's a big one. And I talked to Raymond Felton the other day. He was in town playing in a men's league, and he thinks that Oklahoma City is going to be way better this year than they were last year. So for that reason, and Melo now joining the Rockets, like I'd like to see what that uh, that Thunder and and Rockets game looks like. Uh, So I'll probably tune in for maybe three games. All right. Because I agree with you. Uh, What did you did you enjoy playing on Christmas Day? I loved it. You did. Yeah. I mean, there there became some hassles with it when I had kids, and then we'd have to fly the kids out, so Santa didn't get ruined and stuff. But Generally speaking, it was a big stage and they were big games. So yeah, I like I like playing on Christmas. So you lost to the Lakers in 07. Do you remember that? I appreciate that. Debo gave me that Thanks. sat in my ear right yeah, there. Nice. Just to remind, I don't Thanks, know why. Just, just rubbing it in. So yeah. Now he's dropping. Kobe scored 38 on you. Like just rubbing salt in the wound on that. Kobe one. had 38 on Christmas I Day. I liked playing on holidays. I don't know. Some people hate it. I kind of liked it because you were the only game in town, or only one of these four. So you know, like a lot of people are going to be watching to get more eyeballs. Yeah. More importantly, we played on Thanksgiving. You got the longer weekend after the game, so that was always cool. Yeah. Yeah, football. We didn't get that, but I love the stage. Like the stage yeah. was what we yeah. played for. So, all right, new odds favor Urban Meyer staying at OSU, Danny. So initially, in a wake in the wake of uh, Meyer's administrative leave, the odds varied on his Buckeyes future. Uh, now they are overwhelmingly in his favor. Uh, Bet DSI has odds of him being fired or resigning before the start of the season. So no is minus fifteen hundred. Yes is plus six hundred. Uh, the odds that Meyer will be suspended for at least one game. Yes is minus 2,000 and no is plus 750. We need to have our buddy Old Takes Exposed, like do a roundup of all the people, myself included, yeah. who said he's done. He's not going to survive this. Cause I was in that camp. It looked really ugly. It looked really bad. But then, and, and this is kind of my belief in a lot of these situations. If you survive the initial 24 to 48 hours and you can kind of like just get the Twitter mob and the outrage and the uproar yeah. to just kind of blow over the more likely your chances will that you survive. And some of the, and you know right or wrong, I do think it's good that Ohio State I think is taking the wise move where they said, "All right, let's put we're going to remove him from the situation. We're not going to let him coach right. and then do our investigation and have this cloud linger over us. We're going to remove him from the situation and we're going to take in all the information, we're going to interview everybody we need to talk to." And then we're going to make a decision. I think that was a smart move to make on Ohio State's behalf. And I do agree. I do agree with the Vegas odds. I do think he will be the head coach now. But I do think he'll get a suspension. And looking at their schedule, uh, I think week five they play Penn State, which is their toughest, you know, one yeah. of the tougher games of schedule. They do play TCU week uh, three. So maybe there's a chance he gets two games. But I would say, you know, if I was betting, I would say he's back. He gets a four-game suspension, and he's back for Penn State. Yeah, give him the four. TCU, where's that? Arlington. Like, yeah, let him handle that, and yep. then and then he's back. Yeah, All right. for sure. So Hall of Fame, you tease this is considering the Terrell Owens rule. Over the weekend, Terrell Owens became the first living inductee not to attend his Hall of Fame ceremony in Canton, Ohio. Uh, now the Hall is reportedly considering a rule change that will require all inductees to be present uh, and show up in Canton. Twenty-five semifinalists. Um, We'll have to sign a waiver if inducted uh, that they would attend. This was Owens' reasoning during his alternative speech uh, in Chattanooga, Tennessee on Saturday. He said, I'd like to set the record straight. It's about the mere fact that the sports writers are not in alignment with the mission core values of the Hall of Fame. These writers disregarded the system, the criteria and bylaws, and ultimately the true meaning of the Hall of Fame and what it represents. I wanted to take a stand so the next guy coming after me will not have to go through what I and others have gone through. This is the dumbest rule I think I have ever heard. And I think the Hall of Fame would make a huge mistake. The Hall of Fame is not supposed to be about guaranteeing to be somewhere. It's supposed to be about your career and your career accomplishments. And that's it. And right. to Tio's point, like I hated the fact that he skipped it. I thought that was a mistake. But it's not supposed to be about your relationship with the media, how you treat them. And for them to make you go there 
is such an overreaction to one player who's saying, I'm not going to go. It's dumb, and they should not even think twice about it. They better not, because I think it's a huge mistake. Yeah, to some degree, I say this a lot. Get over yourself, Hall of Fame. Right, Like right. Somebody don't want to come? Like so what? Like exactly. everybody else was Do there. Do what they did at the Hall of Fame. Like don't like they they were kind of petty too. They didn't yeah. really mention them a whole lot. Then that's fine. Yeah. Then just he, give him his gold jacket and move on. Keep it moving. Yep. Um. All right. So look, uh, this is sad news for Debo. Seventy Sixers. Another rookie is hurt. Right. So the rookie Zaire Smith. He injured his foot. He'll need surgery. Typically not a big deal. We wouldn't really uh, focus on it. But he's got a Jones fracture in his foot. Um, and this is like what we're discussing this is the Sixers first round curse, right? It dates back to 2013. Every one of their top picks has mixed, missed significant time in their rookie season. So you got 2013 Nerlens Noel, 82 games. 2014 Joel Embiid, 82 games. 15 Jalil Okafor, 29 games. Ben Simmons, 2016, 82 damn games. Markel Fultz missed another 68 games. What, what do you do with, with the Sixers if and their first-round picks? If I am a Sixers organization, I'm evaluating a lot of things right now. I'm evaluating the training staff. I'm yep. evaluating the strength and conditioning staff. I'm evaluating the practice schedules because this is not just a jinx. There's something going on. Maybe maybe it's a jinx. You know what <laughs> but it does seem like they have a problem with keeping guys healthy, and I think they should evaluate everything. You put everything on the table, because, the, and especially when you've considered how they took the – uh, tanking, you know, aspect and really put so much into that. The first round mean, the, the, all these picks mean so much of their future. Yeah. They need to really do some self, uh, you know, study and see what is the problem and why these injuries are happening. I'm trying to think about, um, hey, Debo, maybe you could chime in here. Joel Embiid, I know when he came out, had back issues. That right. was widely, like everyone knew that, but the talent was too tantalizing to pass. Nerlens Noel, was he hurt already when he, when they drafted him? Yeah, he yeah, would have been the number one overall pick, but he had that ACL tear, so right. he dropped to number six. Otherwise, would have been number one coming out of Kentucky. What about Jalil? Jalil was Jalil was oh, fine. He just oh, wasn't good oh, at basketball. All right, I'm trying to figure out like because some of this, like if you know that there's a pre-existing condition, right? You like you're on the hook for so you you knew this was coming down the pipe anyway. Um, I'm trying to recall. I mean, the Blazers have had like the Sam Bowie thing. When they, you know, but and but then the next one was Greg Oden. That was decades later. So I don't. This is pretty unprecedented in right. terms of team having this many huge injuries uh, to first round picks. But I would want to make sure you looked at every, you uncovered every little aspect that could be potentially a hazard. And that's why I'm saying like workout schedules. Like yeah. you've seen the gamut of different strength coaches and different philosophies. Some guys are way aggressive. Some guys back off. They sure. don't do enough. I would look at every single aspect of the organization, the way it's run, to make sure your players are put in the best position to succeed. Yeah, I agree. It's got to be scary to be a yeah. Sixers first-round pick. <laughs> right? God bless you, kids. No, not me. All right, anyway, coming up next, we're going to chat with Danny's former co-worker and the head coach of my my alma mater, FIU's Butch Davis, is on next with Off the Bench with Canel and Bell. Welcome back to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell and Rajah Bell. It's our pleasure to bring in uh, the head coach of the FIU Panthers down in Miami. Yeah. Uh, our friend Butch Davis. Butch, it's great to have you on. <laughs> it's great to be with you guys. Good morning. So I remember, like it was yesterday, because we did some work at ESPN, and I always enjoyed working with you, but we were on a bus tour, and we were busing around Auburn, Alabama, Florida State, and we're on this thing going around, and... Our producers wanted us to do all this goofy stuff. Like, they wanted us to go around and showcase some of the stuff around campus. And I remember you, Coach, you were like, can't we just talk some ball? And I love that about you because that – and I could just tell, like, you just – you have it in your DNA that you were a coach and you want to talk football and you want to teach and coach. 
And that's one of the reasons I was so happy for you to get back in the game uh, at FIU where you've been. So has it, how good does it feel to be back? And also not to mention to have, you know, a lot of success in your first year back at FIU. Yeah, well, well, Danny, thank you. Obviously, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, DNA. My father was a high school coach for over 25 years, and so I've been around. I've been around sports and, and football you know, my entire life, and uh, you know, and I loved working with you and a lot of the other guys that we worked with at, at ESPN and everything. But you miss. I missed coaching. I miss being around the guys, the the staff, the players in the locker room. Uh, I miss all of that kind of camaraderie that goes along with you know coaching and playing and stuff. And so. Um, coming to FIU was a great opportunity for me because of 11 years at the University of Miami. You felt very comfortable with, uh, all the recruiting base in, in South Florida and throughout the state of Florida. And, uh, and so that made it very, very easy. And, uh, it's good to be back. And, you know, last year we probably maybe slightly surprised a lot of people, I think, after several years of not being, you know, as productive and as good as they'd like to be to, to win eight games last year, which tied the school record for the most wins in the season. And, um, you know, we're just, it's like, like I'm going to pull a Nick Saban on you. It's, it's, it's a process. I mean, you've got to, you know, recruit. We've got two recruiting classes now in the team. And so, uh, you know, I think that the program is absolutely headed in the right direction. Uh, coach, so obviously I went to FIU. We, we didn't have a football program back then, uh, but we did face some challenges in terms of, you know, converting people in Miami or convincing them rather that, that FIU was a product that was just as viable as, as maybe the University of Miami product. Talk about some of the challenges and what you guys are trying to do down there to convince people to come out, uh, and, and support the way they should. Yeah, absolutely, Roger. That's a, uh, it's a huge challenge from the standpoint that the football program is, this is the 17th year and there is such an enormous amount of FIU alums uh, dating back two and three and four decades ago that they grew up and the only access to football that they had was the University of Miami or the Dolphins. And uh, so now trying to not only the, the people that have graduated, let's say, in the last decade that were around football to get those people really excited about it, but then to try to convert those people that grew up maybe in going to hurricane games uh, to get them to understand it on the ideas that there's a lot of times that we played, Miami's on the road, you know, trying to grow some of those or pull some of those people back into the program. And uh, Pete Garcia, our athletic director, you know, Raja, has done a phenomenal job. A lot of people don't realize we have 52,000 undergraduate students. We're the fourth largest university in the United States. And uh, there's over a quarter of a million alumni in Dave Broward and Palm Beach County. And, you know, so the challenge is, is to get those people, you know, hair on fire, show up on, on Saturdays, uh, the seven home games that we have, and get them to be, you know, passionate about the growth of the program. The facilities have dramatically updated. I mean, the baseball facility, uh, on-campus basketball facility, our stadium here, we spent a lot of time really trying to upgrade those and going to continue to. Uh, currently right now, guys, uh, President Rosenberg uh, of the university has hired a rebranding marketing uh, firm to really try to get not only in the community, get people in, but to make the experience unbelievable for families, for kids, uh, and, uh, you know, certainly the students on campus. So it's a challenge, you know, trying to flip those people back in, but I think it's something that absolutely can be done. Yeah, and, and to that point, Coach, I mean, you know, obviously, I, I think one of your first signees this year was a kid from Western. I'm working at Western High School up in Davie right now. Talk about the importance of keeping this local talent, like because we've got such a rich yeah. um, athletic talent pool down here across the, 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 the spectrum of sports. Like, talk about the importance of keeping them at a place like FIU. Yeah, no doubt about it, Roger. It's, uh, 
you know, I think I think the state of Florida, to be honest with you, in my personal opinion, after having been here all the years that I've been, I don't think that there's another state that has the passionate, you know, a number of athletes that grow up that just absolutely love competition. And certainly Dave Broward, Palm Beach County, over to the to the West Coast. I mean, if you do a great job recruiting, and that's kind of where our main focus has been is in the state of Florida. I think probably 75% of the kids that we've signed in the last two classes came from all over the state. And, uh, Danny, we, we were fortunate, and we got a, little, a couple of players in your background from the panel, which, at, to be honest with you, at University of Miami, we didn't, we didn't go in there because we didn't think we could beat Florida State on anybody in, in the panel. And um, this past year, we ended up getting two really outstanding football players. And, uh, you know, we're trying to get bigger, stronger, faster kids. And, and the kids in Florida, I mean, it is just, you know, the, the competition on Friday night watching high school football games down here, the, the athleticism that they have and the way that they love to compete against the best talent uh, really gives them, a, you know, a, a great arm up when they come to campus and they're starting to play Division One football. A lot of conversation in college football is geared around the playoffs, and I've been a proponent of 18 playoff because I want to see teams that aren't in the Power Five get that opportunity. You guys are one of them. You have a couple chances. I'm going to get to call your game against Indiana. You guys also play Miami. How big is the gap in the Power Five school and some of the Group of Five schools? Yeah, you know, Danny, I think, you know, if you just, if you lumped all of the non-Power Five schools, you'd say, well, the gap is, is somewhat significantly big. But if you look at some of the maybe the top 25 programs in the non-Power 5, of which we want to be one of those, uh, I think that they have the opportunity. And, and to be honest with you, Danny, a couple of years ago, I was kind of anti-against the, the idea of expanding uh, to the playoffs to go to eight, P, eight teams. And not just because I got back into it at FIU, but I do see that there's an awful lot of teams that, given the opportunity, you look at what the success that UCF last year had, not only did they go 13-0, and but then when they got a chance to play in the Peach Bowl, they did beat Auburn. And, uh, you know, one of the buzzwords, guys, that we've kind of incorporated at, at FIU is why not us? That if, if Northern Illinois can play in the Orange Bowl, if, uh, you know, team, like UCF plays, I mean, there's a lot of schools that have had opportunities to play in January 1 bowl games. Most notably is the success that Boise State has had. I mean, they, they electrified everybody when they went to the Orange Bowl or to the Fiesta Bowl and they were able to beat Oklahoma. And so, uh, hopefully, um, you know, at some point in time, the, you know, the consideration to expand it so that, you know, maybe there's a number two in a, in a Power Five conference that uh, got beaten in the championship game, maybe they still deserve to get in. But obviously, you know, independents like Notre Dame or, you know, the non-Power 5 schools, you'd like to see at least one or two of them get that opportunity to play in that. I'm with you. I'm, I'm out there preaching because I want to see you guys get an opportunity at least to have a seat at the table. Just to give that opportunity, I think it would be great for college football. And it would be great for programs like absolutely. yours and UCF and Houston. There's a ton of schools that could absolutely compete on the big stage. So I think it's uh, we'll have yeah. to see if college football evolves to that place. Uh, I don't know if you saw this list. ESPN put a list out of the top uh, teams from the past 20 years, the past champions. And you were a part of the 2001 National Championship Hurricanes. You weren't there then, but you had recruited a lot of those guys. You were very familiar with that roster. I think they should be widely considered as the greatest all-time team, maybe not even the last 20 years. But they had 2005 Texas and 2008 Florida uh, Gators team with Tebow ahead of you guys. Did you have any reaction to that? Yeah, you know, Denny, uh, I've been blessed being a part of the University of Miami program, playing playing for and winning national championships in the 80s with Jimmy Johnson and, and then coming back. 
And that the 2000 team, my last year when we beat Florida in the Sugar Bowl, and then the following year when they went undefeated, those two teams and, and the 2001 team that won, obviously I had recruited every single player on that team and then unfortunately left and went to the Cleveland Browns. It was electric. I mean, there's six first-round draft choices in that, and there's legendary Danny and Raja. There's some pictures of those two teams, and in one of the pictures, I think there was like 93 guys in the picture taken at the Sugar Bowl, and like 52 of them played in the National Football League. And then the next year, you know, it was another 49 or 50 of the guys in that team picture. And it had absolutely everything. Electric, great wide receivers, running backs, uh, Clinton Portis and, and Andre uh, Johnson at wide receiver, Kellen Winslow Jr. We had Jeremy Shockey. And, I mean, it was just, it was loaded with talent and they loved to compete. They loved to play. And, and, uh, you know, it's an honor to be respected that, you know, we had a chance that they said that that's the number three team. But I agree with you. I'm not sure that it wouldn't have been the best college football team, uh, maybe in the history of college football. Yeah, those were those were good Miami days, Coach. And that was a lot of those guys were in in my wheelhouse when I was growing up. Uh, I still run into a lot of those guys now. But when you took that program over from from Dennis Erickson, you were kind of. Uh, I remember my dad was a, a, in the athletic department there, and you had a big focus on like character and developing young men. And I just want to ask you about like that process when you're dealing with youth and you're sitting in somebody's living room uh, talking about the responsibility to their kid helping him become a, a better young man. Just talk about what that means to a program um, and, and, and how cool it is to see some of these guys go out and be productive uh, citizens and good fathers uh, uh, after they've left your program. Yeah, absolutely, Roger. I mean, that, you know, Danny can, uh, can you know, understand this. When I took over in Miami in 1995, um, you know, Miami was probably the single most hated football program in, in college football. It was thug you, you know, people thought horribly and, 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 and clearly not every kid on those teams, you know, fell into that category. But obviously, you know, there was an awful lot of off-the-field incidents that had gone on, uh, and then there was the scandal with the Pell Grant. So there was a lot of people that had a lot of questions about, you know, what what kind of character did, did Miami actually have. And so, you know, the big focus, you know, we, we lost 31 scholarships the first three years that I was there due to the sanctions and the probation. And we just literally, you, you had to focus on the guys that you brought in, the Edger and Jameses, the Danny Morgans, uh, you know, all of those guys, Damian Lewis and Jonathan Vilma. I mean, they were great kids. They were really good football players, but they really changed the culture and they changed the environment and, and, uh, and the perspective of the football team and, and going and sitting in the homes, guys. I mean, the number one thing that I think is critically important for every single coach is to make sure that their kids have graduated. Uh, you know, pro sports is a, is a great dream. It's a great opportunity if you're fortunate enough to get a chance to play in the NFL and it's a 3.2, you know, average years for most guys' career. But you're, you know, you get a college education. It's one of the things that I'm proud about. Last year's FIU football team, we had 21 seniors and all 21 of them graduated. And uh, throughout my entire coaching career at North Carolina and Miami, uh, we've graduated over 85% of the kids, and we really want to try to emphasize that, that, uh, you know, it, it really sets the standards for life after football, and, and uh, it's very important, and it's respectful for, you know, the community and the people that support the, the program. All right, to finish it off, Coach, I want to have some fun. We'll do a little rapid-fire superlatives. We do it with all our guests. So uh, we're going to put you on the spot, some hardcore questions, all right? Uh, so back when the before the 2001 Sugar Bowl, you showed your team the movie Gladiator, the Hurricanes team, when you guys played Florida in the Sugar Bowl. Do you have a go-to movie now that you play for your players at FIU? Do we even, do we even still do a movie the Friday night before games? Sure. 
Oh, oh, absolutely. We we have a lot of different videos, and and probably one of my favorite ones is Anthony Hopkins in the Edge. Uh, for a lot of people, they're going to say, "Well, are you out of your mind? Why are you showing you know a movie about a grizzly bear?" But but the message that it sends in there is is that you know you can be, you can have one of two things: you can either fear for challenging yourself to be the very best you can, or you can be mentally strong enough to figure out a way to conquer uh, to to overcome any kind of uh, you know shortcomings. And so that's something that uh, just about every year that I've ever shown videos. I mean, that certainly is one of all right, Coach. What's uh? What, who's the best South Florida high school player you've ever seen? Oh Lord, uh, best high school. I mean, uh, I mean, where do you where do you talk, start? You know, with Benny Blades, <laughs> and Michael Irvin. I mean, literally. I mean, I don't know where you end up. You know, trying to say who was absolutely the best. Maybe Sean Taylor. To be honest with you, when we recruited Sean Taylor, Sean had gone to. Uh, in high school, and he had actually played running back. And in the state championship game, uh, he scored five touchdowns as a running back. And of all the kids that I've recruited, I'm not going to say that he's the absolutely best because there's the Ed Reeds and a lot of guys. But Sean, I think, could have started in the National Football League at about five or six different positions. He could have played corner. He could have played, obviously, any of the safeties. Could have been a running back. Could have been a wide receiver. I mean, um, yeah, just a horrible tragedy that his life, you know, ended so so young. But he was he was remarkable, and uh, you know, he may be the best overall athlete. Yeah, no doubt about it. He was a stud for sure. All right, what's the best word to describe Jimmy Johnson's hair? <laughs> uh the best word to describe it would probably be um probably just you know it, uh, very neat i mean obviously you see it i don't think in the, all the years that i've known him i don't think i've ever seen his hair unless he's in a swimming pool or diving into the ocean and stuff you don't hardly ever see anything out of place <laughs> i would say helmet that would be my one word because it doesn't look helmet like it moves at all <laughs> all right yeah. but hey we know you have to get before they hey Hey guys, before they invented hairspray, you know, just a little insight on on Jimmy. I mean, obviously on game day and stuff. How about how about the stuff they used to spray on people's ankles before they taped that hard? It was almost <laughs> like plastic. So you're exactly right. That's right. Hey, Butch, we know you got a busy day. You have media days for your team down there. You got a, a lot of work to get to as you guys are in camp. I can't wait to come watch you guys play September first. Indiana's coming to town. Big opportunity for you guys to play against a Big Ten team. Thanks for hopping on with us, and uh, best of luck, Butch. You bet, guys. Great to be with you, and I'll look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, Coach. Time now for your refresh. Aaron Rodgers finished Tuesday's practice by running the scout team, and he wasn't happy with the way it went. Rodgers said, quote, it was one of the worst card sessions we've had. You literally have to play what would be our terminology on the card, and the effort was very low. The practice ended with Rodgers throwing the football away in frustration after another missed assignment ruined the play. The NBA will announce its Christmas schedule on Wednesday, but it appears to have leaked per multiple sources. Here are the five games, Blazers, Jazz, Thunders, Rockets in the Carmelo Bowl, Celtics, Sixers, Bucks, Knicks, and the main event, LeBron of the Lakers visiting Steph Curry and the Warriors. And the odds are out for Urban Meyer's future at Ohio State, and the boys in the desert think Meyer won't be fired and he won't resign, meaning he will remain the Buckeyes' coach. However, the odds are heavily juiced on Meyer being suspended for at least one game, and the over-under for game suspended has been set at four and a half. That was your refresh. 
All right, it's time now for Socially Relevant, where I break down what's happening around the world in social media. And you guys know I love talking about Instagram. So there was a study conducted that had to find out which NFL player had the most Instagram followers. I don't know why. I was really surprised by this one. Odell Beckham Jr. leads the league with 10.5 million Instagram followers. Tom Brady and Cam Newton are next at 4 million apiece. Then Russell Wilson and J.J. Watt follow. I have a bone to pick with the people who follow Russell Wilson. I hope you guys aren't one of them. Listen, if you want to follow Sierra, I'm on board, but don't follow her hype man. Oh, oh, love, love. I love how this is called a study, all right? Because all you do is go look on their thing. I just did a study on NBA players, right. and that's one of the things I found fascinating. So if he's the most OBJ at 10 million, LeBron, 40 million. 40. Steph Curry, 21. That was, just, I just looked up those really quick. 21 million. Yeah, so you talk that's about how we do it. social presence, and that is where the future is going. The NFL has to do a better job of getting out there and posting stuff. Yeah, more. We just yeah. got better personalities, bro. Like, what can you <laughs> Wait, who do you guys follow from the NFL on Instagram right now? I follow uh, Tom Brady. Ugh. I do follow him. I don't follow anybody. My sons follow Odell Roger, Beckham Jr. Go. and, and Dak, <laughs> Dak Prescott, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I'm following Russell Wilson. <laughs> don't, follow you. don't do it. Don't do it. All right, guys. That's all I have for Socially Relevant today. Be sure to follow us at Canel and Bell on Twitter and Instagram. Danny, what's coming up next? All right, so we talked about a story yesterday. You teased the story about the USBL, so you better get the details down to it because we're going to get that story and more in topics coming up next. All right, yesterday on the show, you mentioned your experiences with the USBL. It's the United States Basketball League, or was, right? Correct. Okay, so what was Summer. that experience like? So all the, I was set up because we were talking about the travel with yeah. the aces and whatnot. Right. And I, I was kind of like, pissed because and and I used to be in the NBA too when guys would complain about travel and so on and so forth because so in the USBL you know you'd make a couple hundred dollars a week um and like the schedule would be like we'd fly out of Fort Lauderdale and and we hit Washington DC we play that night right and so you got 12 guys um you get three four Tauruses right and you're talking about guys that are like 611 and I might be the shortest at like 65 right there's no team bus no, there's no team bus <laughs> so you play that night right you get your shower you you put all your dirty clothes in the back of these trunks and you drive to let's say somewhere in Pennsylvania you play like the River Valley Dogs the next morning so if you're a vet you get to kind of chill out and sleep my job is to grab these dirty garbage bags full of all of these jocks and socks and tights and i mean just disgusting shit, right <laughs> and i have to sit in a laundromat like all day wash everybody's stuff hand it back out then go play again right really so then we get out of the car like we get out of the arena back in the cars and then the next night you're going to be in atlantic city new jersey doing it all again and so like you just cramp into these little cars you traverse like the east coast because there wasn't enough money to keep sending you back and forth you play like five games in five nights and every morning like i would have to get up and go sit in the laundromat for three hours washing your jocks and your socks and all of that <laughs> and then handing them back out to you and playing that night so for a couple hundred bucks a week yeah it sounds like it's basically it was a glorified men's league it, it was like it was that was all it was but I was happy to do it, and it was the only thing that I had on my plate. And so when I got to the NBA, like I got spoiled as I got older, but I always had a beef with anybody bitching about like the travel or the meals or right. like the per diem or you, the, my laundry isn't dry. Go do it yourself in a laundromat. Although you have defended the fact that M it is hard to travel cross country for NBA players. I, I got spoiled. I got spoiled. Exactly. I got spoiled. <laughs> 
Us spoiled. All right, so check this out. Gilbert Arenas finally comes out and he shares some details about that Javaris Crittenden incident. Yeah. So uh, that infamous incident uh, between Gilbert Arenas and Javaris Crittenden in the Wizards locker room was about a decade ago. Gilbert shared that it stemmed from a game of Boure. You know what Boure? Oh yeah, is? we used right. to play on the plane. All so the they were on the team playing right. Javale McGee actually won the game. Arenas and Crittenden got into a spat. Uh, Gilbert says he brought in four unloaded guns to the locker room and to told Tavares, Javaris to shoot him. Instead, Javaris pulled out his own loaded gun and pointed it at Hibachi's head. Crittenden's currently serving a 23-year prison bid uh, for voluntary manslaughter. That's nuts. That's insane. Yeah. I've seen some crazy things happen from card games. The most, the craziest thing I saw wasn't a player involved. It was an equipment manager yeah. who thought he was going to come back and play with the players, got in deep, and actually ended up crying because he couldn't afford the losings. And the guys were like, nah, we're not having it. They worked out a payment plan. Oh like my it was, God. and then I think a veteran like took him under his wing later and was like, here, I'll cover it for you, but you have to pay. It was bad. Dangerous game. I've seen, um, I've seen twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars won and lost in a Boure game on a plane. Um, Charles Oakley smacked the fire out of Tyrone Hill. You remember that year? It was yeah. 2001 playoffs, I think. Yeah. Or not. Uh, that was over a game of, of Boure, I think. Money owed for Boure. Yep. You got to be careful of those car games in the back of the bus, in the back of the plane. <laughs> they can get nasty. All right. That's it for us. Bonus Last Chance You podcast only episode. That's coming out tomorrow. We're going to do that extra after tomorrow's show. Can't wait to do that. Thanks for checking us out. As always, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Canel and Bell. <laughs>